Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. So there are no notes today because today I'm going to tell a story, a biblical story. And even though today is Palm Sunday, and by the way, forgive me if I reach for the Kleenexes. I went to bed last night and I just have a little sniffle. And so um, if I need to take a break and blow my nose, will you all forgive me, all right? Um, Even though today is Palm Sunday, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to take us on a journey to the cross because this really begins Passion Week, which is the story of of, of Jesus leading up to the cross. And as you walk through this week, I really hope you'll remember some of the things that I say today. And it'll make you more appreciative than ever of what Jesus did for you. Amen? Everybody ready to go on a journey with me? So to begin that journey, we're gonna turn the clocks back to about 29 AD in the city of Jerusalem in an upper room where Jesus was gathered with his 12 disciples to celebrate the Jewish Passover. It is Thursday evening. As they begin their meal, Jesus did something rather strange. He got up from the table, took off his outer robe, put a towel around his waist, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Peter especially had no clue what was going on. He was usually the first one to speak up anyway, like, what are you doing, Lord? This is kind of weird. Think about it. This would be a final picture in the disciples' minds of what Jesus was all about. He could have raised more, one more person from the dead. He could have said, bring in a leper. Let's do one more healing. But the final picture he wanted to leave with them, you got to get this, was God Almighty bowing down and washing feet. Because the Bible says Jesus did not come to be served, but to help me, church. Yeah, I wanna remind you of the power of Christianity. The power of Christianity, really two things. Number one, it's, it's prayer is our greatest weapon. And the second is servanthood. Because when you put a towel around your waist, I'm not, don't do that literally, I'm just making an illustration. When you put a towel around your waist and you serve, what happens is, God uses your humility to anoint you with his spirit and empower you in a way that only happens when you serve. The Bible says this in Matthew 20, 26. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be what? Can I ask you today, do you love to serve Jesus? Do you love to serve people? Will you say yes when you're called this week and say, would you serve next week, please, amen? The Passover supper was very special to the Jews. They remembered their bitter bondage in Egypt and the great escape when they put the the blood over their doors and the death angel passed them and then their escape out of Egypt. And what's interesting about Jesus being with them, Jesus was the Passover lamb celebrating Passover with them. It's a deep thought. Think about it. Now, the disciples were enjoying the unity of this moment. But right in the middle of the Passover meal, Jesus says, hey, guys, one of you is going to betray me. Talk about kind of ruining a good meal. And one by one, they ask, is it me? 
Is it me? Is it me? And finally, Judas asked, is it I? And Jesus said, it's you. And as Judas slipped out into the night, the Bible says Satan possessed him. Not a demon, that Satan himself possessed him. Here's what's amazing about that. Judas saw about every miracle Jesus did. Not only did Judas see Jesus do miracles, he heard every word, and he himself was sent out by Jesus and was used to see miracles happen. Bible says he was numbered with the disciples. And yet he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, basically the price of a slave. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't sell out on Jesus. I don't care what the crowd says. I don't care what trial you're going through. Can, you be, can I remind you this morning, there is only one name under heaven by which you will be saved. It is Jesus. Be reminded that if you win this whole world and lose your own soul, you've lost the battle. Come on, friend. Hold on. The greatest prize you have. How many of you are grateful for the pearl of great price? Hold on until the very end. I'm thinking of my dear friend, Pastor Jim Karras, pastor of Bethel, Assembly of God, not a stone's throw from here, that went home to be with Jesus, a faithful man for many years. Come on, somebody. Was it worth it? Somebody say yes. As Judas left, Jesus shared the first communion with his disciples. He took unleavened bread, broke it, handed it to them. This is my body. Take and eat. Build a chalice. This is my blood. Now, i got to be honest. I don't think the disciples had a clue what that was all about. But a little while later, when they took their second communion, after Jesus died and rose again, their hands were shaken thinking of the remembrance of what Jesus did for them. And I pray this morning, as we partake of communion together, that you'd remember and that some of what I say today would be fresh in your mind. Amen? After communion, Jesus shared a, a number of things with his disciples. They are found in John, John chapters 14 to 16. I just want to share one of those verses, John 15, 11. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We, we live in a world that's looking for a quick thrill and a quick fix. Unfortunately, some of those quick thrills and quick fixes are leading to people's early graves. But aren't you glad we have something better than a quick fix in Jesus? Come on, we got a peace that passes understanding and a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Come on, somebody, don't let anybody steal your joy if you have Jesus. Later that night, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the disciples closest to him, to a garden called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, he said, wait and pray here. My heart is heavy. I'm facing something hard. Pray for me. And he probably journeyed a little bit up into the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus knelt and prayed. Father, if there's any other way that I don't have to drink the cup, but not my will, but yours be done. What was in that cup that Jesus was pondering? In that cup were the sins of the world, friend. I want you to think of some of the awful things. I want you, for a moment, Adolf Hitler, 
others who have done a, a, atrocity, Marx or Lenin and Stalin, killed millions of people, and just the atrocities that have happened on this earth. Your own sin was in that cup. God, who never sinned, Jesus, who never sinned, hates sin, never knew sin, was contemplating drinking a cup filled with this world's sin. And the God of the universe was contemplating that he himself would become our sin. Went back down the mountain. Peter, James, and John were fast asleep. Wake up, guys. I really, I really need you. I've often wondered if Peter would have prayed if he would have not found the strength to not deny the Lord around that fire a little later. Thought to ponder. You say, well, pastor, if I'd have been there, I would have prayed. I'd have stayed awake. Do you now? If you don't pray now, what makes you think you'd pray then? Come on, somebody. You know, the Bible says this. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, let him not find you sleeping. Can I encourage you this morning, one of the greatest joys we have as believers is to be able to close your door and say, Jesus, I just want to hang out with you for a little while. A second and third time, Jesus went up Gethsemane praying the same words. The third time, something strange happened. The Bible says that Jesus began to sweat blood. Now, I understand that there are small capillaries surrounding your sweat glands and under intense pressure, it's possible for those sweat glands to burst and for you to literally sweat blood. It reveals the tension that Jesus was feeling as he contemplated becoming the sin of the world. Now, some have said that the Jews killed Jesus. Others have said that the Romans killed Jesus. Sometimes people hate each other over who killed Jesus but if you really want to know the truth about what killed Jesus, it was that cup that filled Jesus. It was my sins and your sins. If you want to know who killed Jesus, everybody do this. Yeah, no need pointing fingers because we're all as guilty as anybody. Jesus came down the third time to find the disciples asleep again. And as he woke Peter, James, and John, wake up, guys, the hour has come. Judas showed up with a large army. And he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And you know what Judah, Jesus said to Judas after all that? He said, called him friend. He called him friend. Hey, do you ever struggle with forgiving people who wronged you? Remember Jesus' words to the guy who sold him out. Friend. Now, Jesus asked the soldiers, who do you seek? We seek Jesus of Nazareth. The book of John records this. I love this. When Jesus said, I am he, only John records this, but John recorded that the entire army fell over backwards. You can read it. Boom! What was, what was the message in that? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe Jesus wanted them to know they weren't taking him. He was voluntarily going. Now, they may have put ropes on him, and it might have looked like a prisoner, but he wanted them to know, guys, if I wanted to push you down and sweep you into the, into the Mediterranean Sea, I got the power to do it. This ain't about you taking me. This is about me willingly going, because I decided at Gethsemane that I'm going to lay it down and drink that cup. Let the process begin. Come on, somebody. Amen?
Hebrews 12.2 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. What was the joy? Certainly the joy for Jesus was not the punishment or the cup. What was, what was the joy that he saw on the other side of the cross that empowered him to do it? Here's the joy. Everybody put your finger up again. You were the joy. Come on. Even though it was your sin that put him there. It was the joy that Jesus saw down the road of the day that you would open up your heart and receive him and the joy that he saw of you becoming his son and his daughter that empowered him to say, I'll make the journey. That's my joy. They took Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus said, I am. And from this day forward, you'll, you'll see me seated at the right hand of the Father. Caiaphas began to tear his clothes. Blasphemy. You look like a man. You, you smell like a man. And yet you claim to be God. Caiaphas missed the beauty of this. How awesome that God would come and walk among us. How awesome that the God of this universe understands where we're at because he was here. Have you ever accused God of not understanding where you're at? Lord, you're up there, I'm down here. You don't understand. And God's like, wait a minute, hello. I walked this earth. I was tempted like you were tempted. I fought loneliness, I fought betrayal. I know where you're at because I was there. How many of you are grateful for a Jesus who knows where you're at this morning? Come on, somebody. He knows. The high priest did not have the authority to order Jesus' crucifixion, so he sent him to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman authority, the Roman governor. And he was accused of many things. He said very little. Pilate kind of had a sense that he was dealing with, with somebody important and not wanting to touch him. He found out that King Herod was in town, so he sent him to Herod. Herod not wanting him to do, send him back to Pilate, to Pilate for a second time. Pilate perceived that Jesus was an innocent man. His wife came to Pilate and said, look, you better watch touching this guy. But then there was the crowd. Listen to me. What was the crowd saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. Listen to me today. Do not lose out with God because of the crowd. Uh, uh, the crowd is louder than it's ever been. If you don't conform to what we believe, if you don't say what we want you to say, you're going to be trouble. Don't be a pilot. Don't sell out because of the crowd. Are you listening this morning? Amen. Amen. Don't let the crowd persuade you. Whatever became a pilot, Eusebius, an ancient church father, recorded that Pilate ended up years later committing suicide. I wonder if he was plagued with the thoughts he had of sending Jesus off to the crowd. So Pilate ordered him to be crucified. The first thing they did was they took him out and tied him up to a whipping pool and they whipped him. And the, the whip they used was not like kids buy you buy your kid, you know, to celebrate being a cowboy. This was a relatively short whip that had nine strands of leather embedded in those strands of leather were bone, metal, and glass. 
so that when you would put that across somebody's back and pull, it would literally create nine plowed fields on your back. They had figured out through trial and error that the average person could only endure about 39 of those because any more than that would kill them. They'd bleed to death. So they would typically give somebody the 39 stripes, the 40 stripes minus one, they called it, 39 stripes. Your, your back was like a plowed field, but I'm here to tell you this morning. The Bible tells us something beautiful about those stripes. It says, by those stripes we are healed. Come on, somebody. You say, pastor, healed of what? Hey, upon his stripes, he bore the awful things that were done to you that have caused you emotional hand pain. He took it upon himself. Your sickness, your disease, it was all put upon Jesus. Come on, somebody. Have you ever said to Jesus, I encourage you to do so. Lord, if you, if you took it upon yourself, you'd have it. I'm gonna try this side. Sometimes we lay ownership of things that Jesus said he took for us. And we do well to remind ourselves and the Lord. Lord, if you took it, it's not mine. It's yours. You can have it. Come on, aren't you grateful? Say it with me. By his stripes, I am healed. Hey, in a little while, when we partake of communion, I'm gonna encourage you. It's not that there's healing in communion, but there's healing in the faith that comes from remembering that you're healed. Amen? After Jesus was flogged, they put a scarlet robe on him. They made a crown of thorns, not like you'd see around here, long thorns. They put it on his head and they, they beat his head, driving that crown of thorns, and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. Picture for a moment. Here it was, the King of the universe being mocked. Can I tell you the King of the universe is showing up on the scene again someday soon? And he's not going to be mocked the second time that he comes, friend. He is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And that tells me that you have a choice. You can bow your knee willingness before he comes and confess him as Lord. Or you can wait until he comes and when you see him and realize he's the Lord and you're not right with him, you're gonna bow your knee, I'm in trouble, you're the Lord, you're the Lord, you're the Lord. But it's too late at that point. Can I recommend to you if you're in this place today and you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, do it today. So that when he comes, you won't be afraid. You'll just adore him, my king has come. Come on, my king has come. Can you say amen? By this time, Jesus had lost a fair amount of blood. They laid the cross on him, and as he went along on the Diavella Rosso carrying the cross, he, he, he was weak like you would be at that point with the loss of blood. He collapsed, and they grabbed Simon of Cyrene, who was visiting Jerusalem probably for the Passover, and they put the cross on him, and he carried the cross. Can you imagine if Simon of Cyrene became a believer, and some traditions say he did? Can you imagine being in a testimony service? Well, the Lord did this for me. The Lord did that for me. And Simon stands up. I carried 
his cross. When they got to Gethsemane, when they got to Golgotha, excuse me, they laid the cross upon the ground. They laid Jesus on it. Sometimes they would tie you to the cross. In Jesus' case, they nailed him, put nails through uh, his wrist, through his feet. And then they'd lift that cross up, and with a thud, it would go down into the hole. The Bible says every joint in, in Jesus' body was shaken. That's why. And then you would hang upon the cross for hours, sometimes for days. And the problem that would be is as you hung there with the weight on your, on your wrist, you couldn't breathe. So in order to breathe, you, you had to push up and take a breath, and then you collapse again, and eventually you'd be so weak you could no longer push up. And then you'd suffocate, and you'd die. There Jesus hung in agony with a criminal on each side. The one criminal mocked him. Ah, if you're God, why don't you get yourself down from the cross? The other criminal said, you're a sinless man. You didn't do anything wrong. Would you remember me when you get to paradise? And, and if you don't believe in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, at Jesus' darkest hour, he took a moment to turn to that criminal and said, I hear your cry. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Come on, somebody. But it wasn't, listen, it, it, it wasn't really the cross that killed Jesus in the sense that he died because of suffocation. Because if you remember the story, the soldiers were amazed that he, that he went so quickly. And the reason he went so quickly, darkness came upon the land. And my theory on that is the father didn't want anybody seeing the contorted face of Jesus when the sins of the world were put upon him. He shielded him. And in that darkness, the sins of the world were put upon Jesus. Listen, if you don't love Jesus, the God of this universe took upon himself. He who know no sin became sin for us so that he could reach out his hand and say, I love you. Won't you receive what I've done for you? Let your sins be covered. Let me offer you new life. Come on, somebody. What a Savior that we serve this morning. And in that moment, he felt the separation when sin was piled upon him. Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I ask this? you ever feel forsaken? It's impossible for you to actually be forsaken because he was forsaken for you. Do you get that? And while he was there, as he was dying, the blood was pouring down the cross. That's why the Bible says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers. Everybody read with me verse 19 on three. One, two, three. But with the precious blood of Christ... A lamb without blemish or defect. In the moment that he died, here's that break I was telling you about. The moment that he died, something incredible happened. The veil in the Jewish temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The Holy of Holies was only visited once a year by the high priest, and he went in there with blood to cover any sins that had not been atoned for through the daily sacrifices. Once a year, when Jesus died and cried out, it's finished, that veil was torn from top 
to bottom, showing it was no man who tore that thing. The father said, the price is paid. The access to my very presence is now open to everybody who will open their heart and receive Jesus and receive forgiveness from their sins. They can come into my very presence. Come on, that's what makes worship so beautiful, friend. We are, we are fellowshipping with the God of the universe because the way has been open for us to approach the throne of grace. Come on, somebody. Anybody thankful for that this morning? Say yes. And then when they realized he died, they pierced his side. And the Bible says, out came water and blood. And that, that says to me, he died of a broken heart. He died and his heart was surrounded by water at that, at that moment. He died of a broken heart for this world. Now I know this is a little bit next week's message, but I gotta finish the story today, even if it's a quick version, all right? So Joseph of Arimathea asked to have the body of Jesus and laid it in his tomb where no one had ever been buried. Also Nicodemus, who had come to question Jesus at night, helped. They placed a large stone over the grave and uh, Pilate had heard rumors that someone was going to rob the grave and declare that he rose again. So he posted soldiers to make sure nobody could leave with Jesus' body. Where did Jesus go when he was in the grave? The Bible says he descended into hell. Now, this is my version. You can disagree with me, all right? There's room for debate here, but since I got the microphone, you'll listen to my version, all right? <laughs> Hell was having a party. The Messiah was killed. We killed Jesus. It's done. They're down there, and suddenly, there was a knock on Hell's door. Now, I don't even like that illustration, because Jesus don't knock on doors. He just goes through. But nonetheless, and there was a cry, I've come for the keys. I've come for the keys. The keys of death, hell, and the grave that, that Satan had gotten when Adam and Eve fell. Jesus said, the price is paid. I've come for the keys. Did he get them? The Bible tells us. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Come on, aren't you glad, somebody? That he has the keys. That means you've been delivered. And so am I. And from there, most believe he went to Abraham's bosoms where the Old Testament saints were being held. They couldn't go to heaven until Jesus shed his blood. He said to Abraham, I've paid the price. To Moses, you're coming with me. And the evidence that it happened is on the day that Jesus rose, the Bible says people saw Old Testament saints walking around Jerusalem. How wild would that be? That looks like Moses. And they were coming out of Abraham's bosom on their way to heaven. Come on, somebody. Then on Sunday morning, the resurrection power filled the tomb, and Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. Early that morning, the two Marys went to the tomb, found the tomb rolled away, and an angel spoke. He's not here. He's risen. They went back to the disciples, and Peter and John raced to the tomb to discover that it was empty. And Jesus appeared to the disciples and others. At one time, a group of 500. How many witnesses do you need to prove that he's alive? And let me tell you what makes Christianity different from any other religion, in case you ever wondered. Muhammad might have had some nice things to say, 
but he's dead and he's buried. Buddha might have wrote some instructions on paper, but he's under the ground. Same with Confucius, Joseph Smith of the Mormons, anyone else who said, follow me, they're dead and gone. There's only one who said, follow me, and I'm going to prove that I'm worth following. I'm going into the grave, and three days later, I'm coming out of the grave so that you'll know without a certain that I am who I said that I am. And that's why Revelation says, Jesus Christ, Wayne, those, those in worship, come and help me. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Anybody looking forward to that day? I am. Even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Question for you today before we go into communion. Have you received the Jesus? who did what I just told you for you. And if not, why not today? Would you bow your heads, everybody in this house? I believe that when you wander into Easter Assembly, Eastern Assembly, I believe God has brought you here. Will you say, no, such and such invited me. Yeah, they, they invited you, but ultimately... It was the Lord who prompted them to invite you because the Lord wanted you to hear what the Bible says is the good news. What you heard this morning is the good news. That Jesus loved you enough to leave heaven, to walk on this earth, to die on a cross bearing your sins and my sins so that when you open up your heart and receive him. He can come in. He will forgive you and he will breathe his resurrected life inside of you. And can I tell you, you'll never be the same. The Bible says this. If you hold on to your life, you'll lose your life. But if you let go of your life, you'll gain life. What's he talking about? He's talking about what you do with your soul. Do you hold on to it and say, well, I'm gonna go my own way and do my own thing? That's not why God brought, put you on this earth. Or do you surrender your soul to the one who created you and the one who died for you and gain life? I'm looking for somebody here today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you looking at your own heart. Don't worry about your neighbor. You, look, you say, Pastor... I am in need of opening the door of my heart and asking Jesus to come in. Or, just, just to rearrange that a little, I am in need of making a recommitment to the Lord. Maybe at some point you would open that door and, and you've wandered. And God's brought you back here today and he's knocking on your heart's door. Saying, will you open that door and let me to come in?
If you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me, I want you to lift up your hand right now as a way you're saying more than to me. You're saying to God, today I'm choosing to open the door of my heart and ask the Lord to come in. I see some hands. Others here this morning. Come on. I want to ask you this. Thank you in the back. Others here today. This morning, I'm going to make a conscious choice. I was 18 years of age when I wandered into a service like this one. And man, I felt the tug of God on my heart. Saying, Ed, what are you doing, man? You're going your own way, doing your own thing. That's not why I put you here. And that night, I opened the door of my heart and I asked Jesus to come in. And you know what? He did. And what he did for me, he'll do for you. I've seen three or four or five hands. Somebody else say, Pastor, maybe you feel a battle inside right now. What's going on inside of me? What's the battle? The battle is Jesus is fighting for your soul. And your own flesh is, is, is fighting back. Would you let Jesus win that battle this morning? Looking around one more time before I pray. Thank you, Lord. You're here this morning. Say, I need to. Okay, I want you to do something, congregation. For those who raise their hand, we're going to support them by all praying together a prayer to the Lord. And as much as it's the prayer that saves you, more so what's happening in your heart, the surrender that's happening as you pray it. So whether you raise your hands or everybody else praying in support of them, I want you to pray with me. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I fall short, but I believe you died for me. You took upon yourself my sin. You rose again. So right now, I open the door of my heart. Come in, Jesus. Wash me clean. And with your help, I will follow you. In Jesus' name. Let me just pray for those who raised their hand. You don't have to say say a word. Lord, what you did for me, do for them, Father. Let them sense, Lord, that they have been forgiven. Your word is true. And Lord, I pray when they leave this place, they will have known something has changed inside of them. Something is going in. Something is going on because the king has come in. Let it be in Jesus' name. Listen, if you, if you raise your hand when this service is over, would you come and grab one of these orange? Someone will be over here. There's orange bags over here that just tell you some instructions of what to do once you open the door of your heart. Please come down and grab one of them. We'll help you. Is there anybody who doesn't have communion that would like communion? We have ushers who are ready to put this in your hands. I'm just gonna, This will just take 30 seconds to make sure that everybody's been served, that desires to be served. Anybody up in the balcony? I think we're good. Everybody good? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for helping me, ushers. All right, little instructions if you've never taken this communion. Getting to the wafer can be a little tricky, all right? You really have to separate the clear. This one was easy. First service, a little hard. All right, there's, there's two things to peel. There's a clear one, which will get you to the wafer, and then the, the bottom one's kind of easy, all right? So here's what we're gonna do this morning. All right, listen carefully. Here's the instructions. In just a moment, I'm going to release you to take communion on your own when you're ready. We're not going to have an official close to the service today. When you feel like you and the Lord are done, I've asked you to slip out quietly. I want you to just reflect 
on what Jesus did for you before you take this communion. I want you, when you pull out this wafer and you represent his body was broken for you, if there's healing that's needed in your life, would you just say, Lord, I'm a candidate. I'm a candidate. If you took it upon yourself, have it, Lord. If you've been struggling before you drink of of the cup, be reminded that his blood not only has power to forgive, but to break the hold of sin in your life. So I'm gonna open these altars. I'd love for folk to come and just kneel down or stand down here or whether you do it in your seat. Let me just pray and then I'm just gonna release all of you when you're ready to partake of communion. Father, I thank you for each one in this room. But more than that, I thank you for what you did. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for your resurrection. And this morning, we're gonna celebrate that this morning by remembering what you've done and giving you praise. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Well, these altars are open. You're welcome to take in your seat. Let's just reflect a little before we partake.